Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, we have this morning two of the kind of stranger texts of Scripture. Uh, Thankfully, we get them on the same day so we can deal with them both at once and then move on to other more familiar things. We get in the Old Testament, uh, Jacob wrestling with God, and we get in the New Testament, Jesus' encounter with this Syrophoenician woman. Both of these, though, are teaching us important things about Uh, our lives, particularly as Christians, standing under God and his mercy towards us. So we start with Jacob. Uh, Jacob, if you don't remember uh, the story with him, that he has been estranged from his brother Esau because he stole the birthright from Esau and a bunch of other things. He's lived a rather uh, hectic life up to this point, and finally he's going to be reconciled. He sends all of his property and everything uh, over the the Jabbok River beforehand. He actually sends a whole envoy uh, just prior to this text. Uh, to go and basically try and bribe Esau to not destroy him when the, when the two meet, uh, because he's pretty sure that, that Esau is out for blood. And then after everybody's gone over, finally, very, very last, not, not because he's like staying back to guard anything, but because he's kind of a coward uh, and, and is afraid of, of being destroyed himself, he crosses over the Jabbok. And as he's crossing over, he encounters someone. And it's kind of a strange thing. This is where, as we're reading the text, it's helpful to try and forget what's going to happen before you get there. And it's hard, but it it helps to preserve the surprises of all this stuff. So we can just ask, what do you expect is going to happen? We're pretty sure as you're you're reading along this, yeah, it's the Lord that's showing up there. So what's going to happen when uh, Jacob, in all of his fearfulness and and all of his uh, misdeeds that he's done, as he's crossing the Jabbok to go and try and be reconciled to Esau, what, what's the Lord going to do? And we have a bunch of ideas that all seem rather good. Uh, maybe the Lord is going to uh, bless him there. Maybe the Lord is going to forgive him. Maybe the Lord is going to comfort him and assure him that uh, he will be with him when he goes to Esau and the two will be reconciled and he's not going to uh, be destroyed. Something along these lines, because that's what we normally see happen. But instead... God starts a wrestling match. And we have to be honest that as we're listing all the possibilities off of what's going to happen when Jacob meets the Lord crossing over the Jabbok, that a wrestling match is pretty low on that list. It's just kind of weird. But one of the things that's happening in here is we're getting a picture of what it looks like to pray. That this whole event, in addition to being a historical reality, this whole event is teaching us what it means to pray. That we are in prayer wrestling with God and wrestling with the realities that are set in place before us. Now, we'll get more to that later, but to finish the narrative, Jacob eventually prevails. He doesn't let go. Um, he, He doesn't prevail by pinning God. He prevails by just being too stubborn to let go. And the Lord puts his hip out of joint, sends him on his way, but not before renaming him. 
Israel, of which becomes the entire nation born out of the man Israel, out of Jacob, because he's striven, wrestled with God and man and has prevailed. Now, next to that, we get this other rather odd narrative, the Syrophoenician woman. She comes up to Jesus begging that her daughter, who's uh, tormented and possessed by a demon, would be healed. And we can pause there and pretend like we don't know the rest of the narrative and just ask, what's going to happen? What's Jesus going to do? Well, obviously, Jesus is going to have mercy on on the woman. He's going to heal the daughter. He's going to have the daughter brought to him so he can lay his hands on her or like maybe, you know, make mud out of the ground and spit, something like this, something that he would do, which are kind of weird anyway, but uh, something along those lines. But instead, he does something that we don't really expect. He ignores her, just keeps walking along as if he doesn't hear her. And I guess maybe if we're making our list of things that might happen, that's not entirely all the way down at the bottom of the list. But as it goes on, Jesus' reactions start getting more and more strange, at least initially. The the woman keeps up and continues pestering Jesus, keeps after him. And it causes the disciples to start praying, but not for her, for themselves, that she, as a burden, would be just dismissed. Jesus, give her what she wants already. She's kind of getting on our nerves. To which Jesus responds, but not to the woman. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'm not going to do anything for her. She's not my problem. Again, not really what you expect Jesus to say. This is getting really low on our list of expectations. And then she keeps pestering, and he turns and finally responds to her and insults her. It is not right to take what belongs to the children and feed it to the dogs. Jesus isn't being like coy here. This is an insult. This is actually the insult that was normally used towards the Syrophoenician people. These were the people who were considered dogs. That was the insult. This is like not even close to being on our radar of what Jesus is going to do. And it's strange. But again, it's pointing us to something. And it's what the woman says. Yes, Lord. And even the dogs receive the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And you can imagine Jesus, who's been just pulling at this confession the whole time, turns around and you just have to see the big smile on his face. Great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you have desired. And her daughter is healed instantly. I mean, Jesus could have done that from the start. Just said, yep, she's healed and just kind of keep walking. That's not the point. That's not what Jesus is driving at. He's driving at another aspect of prayer here. The prayer is not only wrestling with God, but there is a persistence to this. That we actually come up and we we nag God. We pester him. There's this great uh, parable that Jesus tells in Luke of the same effect that he says, 
Uh, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then he tells the, the parable of the persistent widow that goes and uh, keeps after the judge day and night to get justice for against her adversary. And the judge says, though, I neither fear God nor respect men because this woman keeps pestering me. I'll give her what she wants. And Jesus uses that to explicitly to tell us what prayer is. That prayer is nagging God. Prayer is wrestling with him. Prayer, prayer is much more, much, much more profound of a thing than just, just having a nice conversation with the man upstairs. It's actually bringing to him all of the stuff that, that bothers us, all the things that are on our conscience, all the things that are, that are plaguing this world, uh, bringing before him our, our friends and our relatives and neighbors. Uh, it is interesting to note, as kind of a side to this, that the two people that Jesus praises in this sort of way, like he does with the Syrophoenician woman, is her and the centurion, who we, we had previously, both of which come with petitions for people other than themselves. That is probably instructive for us. But nonetheless, we bring, they're not, they're not uh, bringing someone uh, up that like had their, their car battery die on them or something like that. The centurion's servant is paralyzed and can't move, can't perform his duties. He's probably going to die if he isn't healed. This woman's daughter is plagued by a demon. These are not trivial matters that we bring to the Lord. And he tells us to bring them to him, to wrestle with that, but to not quit, to keep nagging him. We, we can get this idea in our minds that when we pray to God that at some point we, we start to be bothersome. Uh, that, that we can annoy God with our prayers. Like, I've been praying for this for like a month now. Maybe I should give it a rest, give, give God's ear a little break. But God tells us to do exactly the opposite. He tells us to keep coming even more fervently when these things are sitting on our minds, when they're on our conscience, with the things that, that we want to bring to him. That's the first thing that we want to learn from these two texts is how to pray and how to wrestle with God and with men and to be persistent. But the second thing, which is probably the more important thing, is we want to learn to confess in the same way that the Syrophoenician woman confesses, that we will be whatever the Lord says we are. The Lord insults this woman. You're a dog, and you don't get the bread from the children's table. And she says, fine, because I know what dogs do get. They get the crumbs, and they get the love of the master. And that's enough. I will take that. To which Jesus says, how great is your faith. And to us, Jesus says, you are a sinner. And we should receive that word also with the same sort of joy and boldness that this woman receives the insult. You are wicked. You have transgressed against God's laws. You have not loved your neighbor as yourself. You have not loved the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You have not kept even the slightest bit of the commandments. And we say, yes, Lord, I am a sinner because I know what sinners get. Sinners get Jesus.
That's why he's here. That's why he's born. Jesus came not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. So, Lord, if you will call me unrighteous, I will take it because that means I get Jesus. If you will call me a sinner, I will take it because that means that I get the blood of the Son of Man covering my sins. If you will say that I am a sinner, I get all the promises then that come along with that. That I'm died for. That I'm redeemed. That I am an inheritor of eternity. That as Jesus has promised, as we'll hear later in the Easter season, all that the Father has is mine, and the Holy Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. A sinner. That as a sinner, I have come to shed my blood for you, to take all your sins upon myself, to nail them to a cross, to bury them in a grave, so that they would plague you no more, so that you would no longer be guilty of them. You're still a sinner, but you're a redeemed sinner. You're a forgiven sinner. You're a died-for sinner. And so, Jesus, if you will call me a sinner, if you'll call me unrighteous and wicked, I will take it. Because in doing so, you call me something else. You call me your child. You call me yours. You tell me that I belong to you, that you are my brother, that you are my father, that you are my Lord. And with that, I have the most beautiful of promises, regardless of what sort of insult I might think the first thing was. In the name of Jesus, amen. In the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.